Hi, I'm Tom Hansen. And I'm Kat Hansen. In 2014, our son Harding was diagnosed with congenital heart disease. And since then, we have experienced the ups and downs that come along with being a CHD parent. In this podcast, we share some of the lessons we've learned along the way and the things we wish we knew at the start of our journey. In each episode, we also chat with CHD experts to get their stories of hope, encouraging insights, and valuable resources to give parents like us the right help at the right time. This is the Hope and Courage Podcast. Hey guys, it's Kat. I just want to make a quick announcement before we launch into this episode. Our podcast is switching from being released weekly to releasing an episode bi-weekly. So that's every two weeks instead of every week. And I also just want to say a quick thank you so, so much for getting us to 500 downloads. That's so amazing. Never in our wildest dreams did we think that this was going to be more than just a labor of love, but the response has been incredible. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. Now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. It's just me, Kat, here today for the introduction, and I want to introduce you to our amazing guest, Anna Jaworski. She's a CHD parent, an author, a publisher, a podcast host, and she's the co-founder for the Heart Community Collection, which, side note, if you haven't heard of the Heart Community Collection, you need to go Google it right now because it is a one-stop shop for everything you need in the world of CHD. They have books, podcasts, online stores, everything that is related to CHD. They have partnered with the people who have written these books and started these stores and run these podcasts so that anyone who's looking for CHD resources can go to this one website and find them all there. We are one of their partners and we are so lucky to be a part of what they're doing. So definitely go check them out. So back to Anna. In the title of this episode, you may have noticed that this is just part one of our conversation. Our conversation with her was so amazing. We couldn't fit it all into just one episode. There's so much good, valuable stuff there, and we wanted to make it easily digestible and not just one huge, long episode. So so we're splitting it up into two parts. In this first part, you're going to hear a lot about her CHD warrior, Alex. You're going to hear about his diagnosis, and you're going to hear about how he's doing now. And guys, Alex is 27 now, and he's an amazing man. I can't wait for you to hear about him. Uh, But his diagnosis story was not ideal. The stuff that Anna had to go through to get the help that she needed for her son was, is just really hard. So it might be really triggering. Hopefully you will just feel comforted to know that you're not alone, that other CHD parents have been there too. And, and sometimes it can be a struggle to make your voice heard, but so much has changed in 27 years in the way that doctors interact with parents and patients. Uh, I believe the majority of them have become more empathetic and understanding and and want your input as a parent. Um, But that wasn't always the case, you know, and it still sometimes isn't if you if you run into one of those doctors who's not willing to listen to you. And if you've been through something like that, the story may be a little bit triggering for you. But we just encourage you to remember that her family overcame all of that and Alex is doing so great right now. So let's jump to our conversation with Anna. Anna Jaworski, thank you so much. Welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me on your program. I'm so excited about this. No, we are so excited. So are we. we just did your podcast. Now you're doing our podcast. It's it's just an amazing experience of CH, amazing CHD resources that are out there. But we're going to get into that later. But real quick, love to just start. Could you just share with our listeners a little bit of your background, um, your story, and your connection to uh, being a CHD parent? Sure, sure. My name is Anna Jaworski, and I am the mother of two sons. I'm married to Frank Jaworski for 35 years now. Actually, Uh 35 and a half. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes, we have two sons, Joseph and Alexander. Joseph was born heart healthy. So having a son with a heart defect was completely unexpected. I had been a teacher of the deaf before I decided to become a stay-at-home mom. And when you're a teacher of the deaf, you kind of assume that everything's fine except for the ears and, you know, maybe the voice apparatus. You try and help the children to improve their voice. So we did not know, even though I had three ultrasounds, we did not know that Alexander had a heart defect. Wow. When Alex was born, Frank was in the delivery room, as is so common nowadays, and my husband's a nurse. The second they put Alexander into my husband's hands, he said something was wrong. Hmm. And Hmm. they took Alex over to the side and ran the necessary tests and said, no, he's fine. He got an eight and a nine for his APGAR scores. And they slapped him on the back and said, you have a healthy son here. But that feeling of something is wrong never left my husband. And I had already had one son. So I knew what it was like to be a parent. And when it came to nursing my son, he didn't want to nurse. Hmm. So that was something that caused me concern. So for eight weeks, we kept saying something was wrong. And every time we said something was wrong, the professionals had a label to go with it. So my husband said he's breathing too hard. And they called that newborn breathing. And I said, Mm -hmm. he's not nursing right. And they said, oh, Joey was a piranha. This one's a lamb because he came three weeks early. Mm -hmm. And when the baby was jaundiced, they said, oh, that's breast milk jaundice. Mm -hmm. So every single concern we had, they were able to just uh, dismiss until he had his two-month well baby checkup. And at that time, I went through my whole litany of concerns again, and I had been keeping a log. I was so worried. I had been keeping a log of every wet and dirty diaper, of every single feeding, but my baby never woke up crying. Whether he was wet or whether he was hungry, he never woke up crying, and that's not normal. Mm-hmm. So I talked to the pediatrician again, and I had my log with me in my diaper bag. And she examined Alexander and said, he's fine. She put his clothes back on. She was getting ready to end the meeting or any examination. And then I said, okay, well, I, I have one more concern. Remember how I told you he's never woken me up crying? And she said, yes. And I said, well, the other day he did wake me up crying. And she said, really? And I, I, I said, he did wake me up, but he wasn't crying. And that's what concerned me. And she said, well, why did you wake up? And I said, well, he was making a sound, but it wasn't a crying sound. It was more like grunting. Hmm. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't know any other way to describe it, but it, it sounded kind of like grunting. 
And so off came all the clothes all over again. Out came the stethoscope and she listened really hard. And she turned to me and she said, we're admitting him. Yeah. Hmm. I was in shock, Tom. Wow. I was, I was in shock. And I said, wait a minute, how can you admit him? You were just getting ready to say goodbye to us. And she said, something is really wrong. And I said, I've been saying something's wrong for eight <laughs> weeks. And you guys have told me that it's all in my head. Mm-hmm. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I don't know. And I said, how can you admit my baby when you don't know what's wrong? And she said, well, because um, I'm going to admit him for failure to thrive. Mm. Now, I was a special education teacher. Yeah. Children who were failure to thrive, and I know you know this, Tom, since you're a teacher too, those are babies yeah. who aren't loved. Right. Mm-hmm. That wasn't my baby. Right. And so I almost burst into tears and I said, that's not my baby. And she said, well, failure to thrive is also for babies who are seriously ill. And I said, he's never had a fever. He's never had diarrhea. He doesn't vomit. How can you say he's seriously ill? And so she said, well, I think he has cystic fibrosis. And she immediately walked out of the room. Oh, my gosh. So I'm sitting there with my three-year-old son, Joey, and my two-month-old baby, Alex, and I'm racking my brain thinking, cystic fibrosis, cystic fibrosis. I know I studied this in school, cystic fibrosis. And the only thing I could remember was that those babies taste salty when you kiss them. Hmm. So when she came back in the room, I said, it can't be cystic fibrosis. He doesn't taste salty. Hmm. Which, of course, is ridiculous, right? But I, I had no idea. Right. So she she was just adamant. He was being admitted. I was being sent up to the fifth floor. And so we got up there. And I, now this is in the days before cell phones because my son is 27. Mm-hmm. And my, my older son, Joey, is 30. So we're up there and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I can't stay up here with Joey and with Alex. I didn't know what kind of tests they were going to run on Alex. They were not forthcoming with much information, but it happened to be the hospital where my husband worked. Hmm. So I was able to call his department and to fill him, fill him in on what was going on. And he was able to come over to be with me and to take Joey home. He was able to get the rest of the day off. So I was there morning, noon, and night. So it's nighttime, and there's a change of shift, and a new nurse walks in, and she watches me. So I'm, I'm holding Alex, calming him, and I'm just patting his back, and his head is moving back and forth really, really hard, which is what Frank had been worried about from the moment he was born. And so she watches me holding him and she said, does he always breathe like that? And I said, it's getting worse. He would breathe so hard you could see a cleft in his chest. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, what did the x-ray show? And I said, they've done a urine sample. They've taken vials of blood. They've done all kinds of stuff, but there has been no chest x-ray. And she said, what do you mean? A resident walked in because we were at a teaching hospital. And she said, that baby has a heart or a lung problem. Where's the x-ray? And he said, oh, no, no, that baby has cystic fibrosis. (laughs) And Vicki took him out of the room very professionally and talked with the resident. And a few minutes later, he came back in the room alone. And he said, you know, I think we're going to order a chest x-ray. 
for your baby. Is that okay? I said, sure, <laughs> that's, that's fine. So at midnight, Vicky comes back in the room, the nurse, and she said, what did the x-ray show? And I said, there hasn't been an x-ray. And she goes, what do you mean there's no x-ray? Next thing I know, she's out of the room again. And she comes back in. She said, you're not going to believe this. The x-ray, the portable x-ray machine is broken. Mm. Would you be willing to go down to the ER so your baby could have an x-ray? So I said, sure. So right before I was getting ready to go down to the ER, the phone in the room rings. And I pick it up, and it's my husband. He said, now, I don't want you to be worried, but I'm in the ER. I said, really? I'm getting ready to go down to the ER. Why are you in the ER? And he said, well, Joey was all wound up, and and I was trying to get him to calm down, so I put the Sesame Street video in, and he started dancing, and he fell down and hit his head. It's not a big deal, but oh my God. Oh we need. My. he's getting stitches. So... <laughs> I met my husband down in the emergency room and we went to the cafeteria afterwards to get something to drink. And it wasn't until the next morning that the resident came back into the room through the x-ray up on a light board and said, see, now we know what we're dealing with. Well, I already told you guys, I was a teacher of the deaf. <laughs> I had no idea what I was looking at, but I looked at this x-ray and I pointed to a big blob in the center and I said, is that his heart? And he said, yep. And I said, is it supposed to be that big? And he said, nope. Hmm. That was my introduction to CHD. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so your son, um, yeah, was... What was the diagnosis? What was the treatment uh, there? Oh, they couldn't treat him there. That hospital was not prepared for somebody like Alexander. Right. So um, long story short, we ended up going to San Antonio, which is where my parents lived and where I had gone to graduate school. I knew they had a huge medical center there. And so I had a feeling there would be somebody there who could help Alexander. And when he was first diagnosed, the cardiologist and a cardiothoracic surgeon were in disagreement on what to call it. And so finally they said, well, we're going to call it HLHS. And I said, what is HLHS? And they said, that's hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And I had no clue what that was. I mean, I knew what left and heart and syndrome meant, but I had no idea what hypoplastic meant. So the surgeon drew a heart on the chalkboard because we were at another teaching hospital, <laughs> University mm-hmm. Hospital in San Antonio. And then he drew a normal heart next to it. And I couldn't believe that my baby was still alive. Mm-hmm. He had a hypoplastic left ventricle. He had transposition, detransposition of the great vessels. He had a coartation of the aorta an ASD, a VSD, a PFO, a PDA, which are two other kinds of holes in the heart. Um, He had double inlet left ventricle, and we were lucky because he did have good valves. Hmm. So most kids with HLHS do not have good valves, and that causes a lot of problems. And most kids with HLHS probably don't have detransposition. He was lucky because his transposition meant that the right ventricle, which was his big one, was actually pumping the blood to the body. Hmm. And the tiny, apparently embryonic 
left ventricle was pumping the blood to the lungs. So my baby was never blue. That was mm-hmm. a, one of the first things that people said to me. Oh, well, wasn't he blue when he cried? Wasn't he blue when he nursed? He was never blue. He had so many holes in his heart. His blood was mixing. And right. so we were lucky. He had enough things wrong with his heart that some of the things were compensating for each other. Otherwise, Alexander would never have made it eight right. weeks. Wow. That's crazy. So he's so he's 27 now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we again, we've talked and I know this, but I, I want to hear it again because it's so great. But how's he doing now? He was doing fantastic. He had a fenestrated fontan at 10 months of age, which is very unusual. Even back then, 27 years ago, right. they didn't normally do that, but he needed it. And they were going to do a bidirectional glen. But when they got in, after the first surgery, there was so much scar tissue that the scar tissue had adhered to his sternum. And so it took them a really long time to get in to do the open heart surgery. And they were really afraid to go in three times that they might actually cut the heart. Hmm. So the surgeon felt that he was big enough and strong enough that he could go and have the, the fenestrative fontan, which was amazing because then I knew that the three stages of the surgery were behind us. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know was that when he was 17 years old, he would have to have a new Fontan, a Fontan mm-hmm. revision. But he did. And so he had the Fontan revision. It was a great challenge to have a 17-year-old versus an infant. I knew better some of the things that we could lose. I mean, I already knew what we could lose because when he had his Fontan, he came out with paralyzed vocal cords and a partially paralyzed diaphragm. And so there was a lot to recover from with the first Fontan. So I knew how bad things could be. Um, And I knew he had had a stroke. Mm -hmm. Even though back then they didn't test them for uh, neurological damage. They told me when I was concerned about his voice, they said, well, he's alive. (laughs) Which is true, you know, but uh, luckily my background before I became a teacher of the deaf was in speech pathology and I used Mm -hmm. everything I ever learned in school to help my baby. So that was that was really lucky. So now he's doing great. He works full time as a pharmacy tech at our local hospital, the hospital where he was born, as a matter of fact. Wow. And he sometimes puts in 10,000 or more steps delivering drugs to all the different parts of the hospital because it's a huge hospital. Our, our hospital is the biggest hospital in the area. And so he knows the hospital really, really well. And here's a, a story that's really delightful. When he was little, he was embarrassed about his scar and he really didn't like anybody to see his scar. And Then as he got a little bit older, he decided to have fun with his scar, right? And so when people would say, what's, what's that? He would tell them he had gotten attacked by a shark. (laughs) (laughs) We lived in Florida for two years, so it's not, you know, inconceivable that he might've met a shark, but no, he was not attacked by a shark. But anyway, he would just have fun with people because he said, mom, it's none of their business. What's going on with my chest? And I was like, I know, I know. Mm -hmm. Well, after having the Fontaine revision, And really seeing what it was that I had been talking about for all those years, 
it gave him a new appreciation. And he was actually super proud of his scarf. And I mean, to the point where the next year for Halloween, he wanted to go around without a shirt to show off his scarf and to be <laughs> scary. But um, but his scar healed so beautifully. It didn't mm. look scary enough. And he was going to have to put makeup on it <laughs> to make it look worse. But what really made me happy was the day he told me that he went to deliver some drugs and he decided to take the stairs instead of waiting for one of the elevators. And as he was going down the stairs, he saw a patient in a gown walking the stairs. And it reminded him of when he was walking the stairs. Mm. And the person had clearly just had heart surgery. Alex wears a V-neck shirt, scrub top, as mm. a pharmacy tech. And he saw the the bandage and he knew what was going on and he said to the patient you've got this man mm -hmm. I did it you can do it and then he mm -hmm. went on to deliver the drugs and I thought he's gonna be okay <laughs> yeah you know I can tell you that so wow. often when we were um you know that I think that it's it's like so often when we were going through the surgeries and when we got the diagnosis, even in utero and the procedures and stuff, one of the biggest things I had was just like, just show me someone that has this. Show me an adult, an, an older kid, you know? And I think the response that we get is kind of like a good one in the sense that, well, a lot of these procedures are so new that the kids are still growing and we we don't know what everything looks like for them. But just it, so... So Alex has got to be on the older side of, of all of this, right? I mean, he's um, got to be one of the older Fontan uh, kids out there. Is that true? Um, you know, I've been at this for 27 years now, so I've really been so blessed to have met people in their 30s and their 40s. So mm -hmm. he was the oldest that I knew, or one of the oldest that I knew for a long time. But now I've been blessed to meet people who have been living with a Fontan heart decades more than Alex has. Wow. That's so cool. But it's just great mm -hmm. to hear like yeah. he's having fun and he's engaging. And, you know, um, I know that, you know, we talked earlier, but uh, yeah, as a 27 year old, what is his uh, kind of perspective on his heart and how he talks about it or thinks about um, the whole experience? I know you shared a little bit there, but is there any more that you could share a little about that? Well, he feels I do enough advocacy for the entire family. <laughs> <laughs> so he was kind of done with it. He doesn't. <laughs> it's, you know, I wouldn't say that he's done with it. He's been so awesome and supportive with me and my podcast. I didn't start the podcast till he went off to college. I homeschooled him. And so he started college at 14, mm. which we don't talk about a whole lot because it's not that uncommon nowadays for kids to be dual credit kiddos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that was what he did. What was what maybe is kind of unusual is that we live in a small town called Temple. And my son wanted to study at that time he wanted to study robotics. And there was no college nearby that had a program like that. But we had been going to robotics competitions since Alex was nine. And I knew temp that uh, that Texas State Technical College, which is in Waco, 
which is about a 35 minute drive, Mm -hmm. that they had the first robotic program in the state of Texas. And they were happy to have Alex join their, their college. So from the time he was 14, I started driving him to Waco for him to enroll in their program. So when he was 17, he graduated from homeschool high school. And two weeks later, he graduated from TSTC with an associate's degree in robotics, which is really, really cool. Yeah. He wanted to take a gap year because he knew he had this open heart surgery. And so um, he graduated from open, uh, he graduated from homeschool high school on his birthday. Makes it so easy to remember. (laughs) And then two weeks later, and his birthday's in August, two weeks later, he walked across the stage and got his, um, his diploma. And then on Halloween that year, he went in for his Fontan revision. He went in and did all the pre-op stuff. And then actually November 1st was when he had his surgery. And so then um, he didn't start college till the next year. He went away all the way to Brooklyn. We live in central Texas. So it was over a thousand miles away. And so many people say to me, how could you do that? How could you let him go so far away from home? And I said to people, are you kidding? This is a kid who... If anybody deserved the right to choose his path, it was Alex. I mean, yeah. let's face it. He'd kind of been to, you know, the worst place you can imagine and back. So yeah. how could I hold him back? How could I clip his wings? I couldn't. And so it wasn't until after he went off to college that I actually started the podcast. So wow. he really didn't know a whole lot about it. And when I was just celebrating my 300th episode, Alexander interviewed me. Which oh, was really cool. that's going to be, that's going to be a cool one to go listen to. Um, it was really cool. That's yeah. awesome. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. In addition to this podcast, we have lots of other resources to help support, encourage, and equip CHD parents. These can all be found at TomcatHanson.com. The one we are most excited about is our book. Yes, we've written a book. It's called Hope and Courage, Real Life Lessons from the Parents of a Child with Congenital Heart Disease. It's a must read for CHD parents because it gives you a story that only you can relate to and valuable insights you need to live a happy and fulfilling life. It's almost ready and you can sign up now on our website to join our mailing list to be the first notified when it's ready to be purchased. While you wait, we'll go ahead and send you a free resource, Top 10 Tips for CHD Parents, which you will love. You can follow us at Tom and Kat Hansen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, please rate, follow, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. It really helps this project grow. With that, we'll talk to you next time.